right, man. Thank y'all for being here. Uh, first timers, where were they at? I know we had some over here. Cool. Hey, 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 how you doing? It's good to see you. Yeah, some in the back too. Yeah, awesome, man. Thank y'all for being here today. Uh, it is our prayer as always that we all leave here closer to the Lord, more in love with Jesus than we were when we came in. Amen? Amen, amen. amen. So before we get started, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father God, I love you. I praise you. I thank you for this time to uh, gather together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And um, man, sit in your presence. I thank you for the time of worship uh, with song where uh, we were just brought up before your throne. And I thank you for that. I praise you for it. And uh, Lord, during this time as your word goes forth, I pray that your spirit would rain down just as the rain has fallen outside and fill this place. Uh, that we would not be able to leave this place unchanged. Lord, move here today. Do what only you could do, and you will absolutely get the glory. So I praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So uh, we're uh, moving on along in our uh, sermon series, A Journey of Faith, talking about the life of Abraham. Uh, still in um, Genesis for the next several weeks, months, sometime. Be here for a little bit, settle in. Um, but that's a good thing. And a uh, little bit of a, a back, back story for this week. Uh, last week, J.D. finished up Genesis chapter 13, uh, where Abraham, Abram, you know, we're talking about Abraham, but he's still Abram at this point. Abram and Lot, they separate ways. They part ways. And uh, Abram and Lot, they had left Egypt, and they traveled toward Bethel, and they had pitched their tents, what it says. So they had set up, set up camp, and um, they, they had actually accumulated. They had been blessed so much, accumulated so much livestock that there was just, man, they had too much for them to stay together. They had to separate, and the herdsmen were starting to quarrel about, why are you sheep over here where mine's supposed to be? Get them out of here. So they had conflict. Anybody got the idea that conflict happens? Uh, anywhere, even where God's blessing. Um, so there's, there's conflict arising between the herdsmen, so they decided to separate. And uh, Abram does this really cool thing. He decides to give up his rights and let Abram decide where, or and let Lot decide where, uh, where he's going to go. You know, Abraham, I mean, he was, he was the, the patriarch of the family, and he could have said, Lot, you got to go over there, and I got this spot, but he didn't do that. He said, you look around. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You go up, you go north, I'll go south. It doesn't matter. And uh, Abraham just gave up his rights. And, uh, you know, uh, he wasn't worried about it because he knew that God was in control. All right? So wherever Lot chose, God was still going to care for him. God was still going to be caring for him and taking care of him. And he was experiencing God's blessings. Um, Abram, and here's the thing, man. Abram wasn't surrendering his rights to Lot, but he surrendered his right to God. Right? He surrendered his right to God because God's the one that's ultimately in control. So he wasn't worried about the future. Lot chose the plain of Jordan. It's this lush plain along the Jordan River that follows on down. And, uh, and it said this. It said he pitched his tent near Sodom. Now, that's going to be important today. So remember, he's, he picked his own spot, lush place to, to graze his uh, animals. Uh, but when he got there, he was scooching a little closer to Sodom. And he pitched his tent near Sodom. And, and the thing is, man, Lot, he wanted to share in the blessings of God through God's covenant with Abraham. But he also wanted to have one foot in the world. Uh, so he headed to a place where that it would eventually drag him into the sin of those around him. Uh, now, I know none of us are sitting on a proverbial fence, right? Because who owns the fence? Yeah, Satan owns the fence. And that's kind of where Lot was at, man. I mean, he liked the blessings of God. Bless me, Lord. But he didn't really want to be submitted and surrendered. He was going his own way. Man, and we can all do that, right? Uh, sometimes we'll risk our spiritual health for earl earthly satisfaction or reward. Um, we can sacrifice ourselves uh, for what we want to do instead of for the one who sacrificed himself for us. 
You know, it's that idea, you know, we ain't got a lot of time, but we always make time to do what we want to do, right? You know, we, we, we ain't got a lot of extra money, but we always can save up enough money to do what we want to do. We sacrifice to ourselves our will our way rather than sacrificing for the Lord. Now, now it tells us last week in 13 that Abram pitched his tent near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, about, and that was about 20 miles south of Jerusalem where uh, he and Sarah would live out their, their, their lives in that general area. And uh, so, so the takeaway from last week's sermon, and I thought it was uh, pretty worth repeating, uh, as we develop our relationship and fellowship with God, we trust God, agreeing with Him, and obeying Him by faith. And then these are some things that can happen. We learn to deal effectively with conflict in our relationships. Right through our relationship with God, we can deal with the relationships in our life that, are, that have struggles and conflicts. And uh, secondly, we're set apart for the Lord. We're sanctified. We're made holy for God's purposes. We become vessels fit for God's purpose, right? We're set apart for the Lord, and we have a right perspective and focus, and we learn to trust God. Man, when we first get saved, we can be excited about God, but until God's done some stuff in our lives, man, it's hard to trust Him when things get hard. Man, that's why you need to look back, remember what God's done before, so when you move forward, you've got the faith to stand. Man, God can be trusted completely. And as we trust in Him, agree with Him and His Word, and His Word, and live in obedience to Him, that's, that's faith, right? We're transformed into the person God wants us to become for His purpose and His glory. So that was, that was a, an extended nutshell of last week. Uh, if you didn't catch that, man, great sermon. Uh, go back online and listen to that, and, uh, and it'll help with the context of this. So uh, today... Uh, we've got a rescue story. Abram and Lot had separated last week, and uh, by chapter 14, he's in trouble. So we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 14, uh, verses 1 through 16. Let me ask you a question before we get started. Do you have a rescue story? Do you have a rescue story in your life? Can you look back at your life and see one time, sometime, where uh, I was here, and I was jacked, and I couldn't get out of here, and I got rescued from that? Man, we all need a rescue story. And, uh, and here's what it should sound like in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Man, that's, that's the rescue story you need. Man, if somebody's coming along and helped you out of a jam, that's awesome. Thank them for it. But you can be a help out of every jam you've ever been in. If you don't know Jesus, it ain't going to end well. That's the ref rescue story that we need. Now, now if that's true and you got that rescue story, uh, yeah, anybody ever wonder what your purpose is? It's like, man, I wish God would tell me what my purpose is. I mean, I know I'm saved. God's, God's rocked my world. What's my purpose, Lord? Well, I mean, he's got something specific, but... Just in case you're wondering what it is, here it is in 2 Corinthians. We're going to preach a whole different sermon, and then we'll get to the scripture we got today. So just go with me. Uh, here's what your purpose is. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. You're not the same old guy you used to be. You're not the same lady you used to be. You're a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's your purpose right there. Your purpose, and we'll explain how that happens out here, is a ministry of reconciliation. Congratulations, ministers. We all got a job to do. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God, who, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So uh, Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again on the third day, and he paid the penalty for our sin. Through him, we can be reconciled to God... 
And because of that, our sins are no longer held against us, right? God casts them as far as the east and the west. Man, that's awesome news. That's good news. It's the gospel. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. His righteousness imputed to us, the righteousness of Jesus Christ imputed to us. God sees you as clean, all right? Now, we're still struggling. We still have those areas where we fall, right? But your sins are forgiven. We're in a right relationship with God. And because of that, we don't continue in our sin. We run from it, and we tell others about the great things that God has done in our life and what he wants to do in theirs. All right, sermon two. <laughs> man, the Lord laid that on my heart, and I'm like, man, that's crazy to put that in front. That's supposed to be at the end of the sermon, but it, it needed to be here. Somebody needed to hear that this morning. And somebody, we all needed to hear that this morning. I'm going to tell you right now, pre, get up, read those scriptures every day, preach it to yourself. Preach the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel to yourself, so you know who you are instead of believing what the devil tells you, who the devil tells you you are. Because you'll end up in a jacked up place you start listening to him. All right, so we're jumping into our text, and uh, we start out entangled in a war between nine kings. All right, so I'm going to walk through this, and hopefully uh, it'll make some sense. And uh, I'm just telling you, I am about to murder some names. All right, so just accept it. Don't get sidetracked. I'm going to try to murder them the same way every time so there's some consistency. But we're going to be all right. All right, so let's jump in, starting in verse 1, because that's where you should start at. Uh, at the time when Amraphel, the king of Shinar, Arach, king of Elisar, Keto Laomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, the king of Goyim, these kings went to war against Berah, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Abdom, Adma, and Shemember, king of Zimboyim, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. So uh, we got this little map. Throw that little map up there if you can. All right, so uh, this is where this whole thing's taking place. I'll explain it as we go through, sort of. Sort of. So the eastern kings, or the eastern alliance is how I'm going to try to refer to them so I'm not killing them names every time. Uh, the first four... Well, from uh, the area of modern-day Iran, which is like up off the map, up on the right top corner. So that's where they were from. And, uh, and that was a uh, modern-day Iran area. Uh, this has this taken pl place like 1900 to 2000 B.C., the time frame. And uh, during these times, kings, uh, they, were, they were kings over cities. You know, we think of a king now or a president or being ruler over a whole country, but Individual cities had kings, and uh, they, were, they weren't necessarily uh, a country. There might be a country sense to it, but, but they were actually kings over the cities. And it wasn't unusual for them to form alliances with other cities uh, to be able to come together and uh, for them to go out and to conquer other cities and take their goods and require that the king pay tribute each year. Uh, with a portion of their wealth, right? So uh, their profits are being sent back to the king that conquered them. Uh, it's like the uh, early mafia. You know, you can keep your store going. All right, you can stay in business, but you're going to give me some of your profits or I'm going to come down here and burn it down, which is basically what they were doing. Uh, and, and, and interestingly, verse 2, that's the first mention of the word war in the Bible. So this is the first war that we know of in the Bible that took place uh, God's perfect creation, and we walk through that creation story that we've been going through over the last several months. All that's taken place and war has now entered into the picture. Um, now, verses 3 and 4, they explain why they're at war. It says, all these latter, western, the western kings, joined forces in the valley of Siddam, that is the Dead Sea Valley, and it says this, this is why the war happened. It says, for 12 years they had been subject to Kedo Laamor's to Kedor Laomers, 
Told you I was going to kill it. Uh, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. So for 12 years, they've been sending their prophets to the king so they wouldn't come down there and tear their place apart. Um, but in the 13th year, they rebelled. They didn't bother sending. I ain't, I ain't paying no tribute this year. Forget that. He ain't been down here in 12 years. Maybe he'll just leave us alone. Right? They quit paying. They were mistaken. Um, and these cities were in the fertile southern Jordan River Valley. And uh, there's also part of the King's Highway, which was like a primary trade route. So you can see the King's Highway coming down that line there from Shinner and Elam to on down through Ham, King's Highway. They're, they're coming down there. So springtime's come. Uh, they're coming down there. And uh, they didn't want to lose control of that route or the tribute they'd been getting. All right, because you figure if you got some cities starting to rebel and you don't do something about it, everybody's going to be rebelling. And they couldn't have that, right? But they, they didn't attack immediately. Uh, uh, but what King, King Keter Laomer, I was going to call him King K, but I'm going to keep trying to do it just to get better at it. Uh, hey, Coach K, that would still work, wouldn't it? It would. So he didn't immediately attack. But he gathered his allies together, and the following spring, they, had, they set out to attack these cities. And this is a long ways off. You're looking about over a couple hundred miles, 250, 300 miles that they traveled for this. Uh, spring arrived, and they made their way down King's Highway, and they started engaging the, the rebelling, rebelling cities. Um, but they did a little more than that, too. So let's read through these next uh, few verses, starting in 4. It says, In the 14th year, Keter de Laomer and the kings allied with him went out and defeated the Raphaites in Asher Carnaim and the Zuzites in Ham and the Emites in Shever Kirathim and the Horites in the hill country of Seir and as far as El Paran in the de near the desert. And then they turned back. So all that, we ain't got no map. All that, they came down. They're all the way down at the bottom of the map now. Um, then they turned back, went into En Mishphat, which is Kadesh, and then they conquered the whole territory of the Amalekites as well as the Amorites who were living in Hazazan Tamar. So the map's going to pop back up now. So the, the, as the four kings and their armies, they traveled through Cana, right down the king's highway. They defeated everyone in their path, and they were traveling as far as the hill country, which was way down and actually off the bottom of the map. So these weren't like the five kingdoms that were right around them. They had traveled, so no doubt they had destroyed many others as well. Uh, but, it, but they weren't just securing their interests. They were, they were expanding them as well. They defeated everyone on their path, traveling as far as down to the uh, Seir and El Paran near the desert. And then they turned back and they conquered the uh, Amalekites and the Amorites as well. So they're really expanding... Uh, their, their territory and stuff. And it's interesting, I found as I was digging into this, uh, there's an archaeologist named Nelik, Nelson Gulick, Glulick, and uh, he lived from like 1900 up to the 70s. And uh, he just did a lot of, lot of work there. And uh, he documented the destruction that was left by these kings as they came down the king's highway and were attacking the little towns around the side of it. Uh, it says they found that in every village in their path he had plundered and left in ruins, and the countryside was laid waste. The population had to be either wiped out or led away into captivity. And he said for hundreds of years thereafter, the entire area was like an abandoned cemetery, hideously unkept with all its monuments scattered and shrown in pieces on the ground. Man, that's crazy, man. They're going down there. Uh, so the, these five cities that he's going to, he gave them the opportunity to pay tribute. Now, I don't know if these other cities, it doesn't specifically say if these were new cities he'd ran into, but it's really interesting to see that he was just tearing it apart, man. And that's what he had intended, was intended to do to these cities that were rebelling against him. Then in verse 8, it says, Then the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah, the king of Abnon and the king of Zeboiim and the king of Bela, that is Zor, marched out, so these are the, uh, the, the Western, Western Coalition. They marched out and drew up their battle lines in the Valley of Siddim against Kedor, Laomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goyim, Aramphil, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elisar, the four kings against five. So the four coming down, the five rebellious, um, the five rebellious kings 
the rebellious cities. And it says, Now in the valley of Siddim was full of tar pits, and when the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of the men fell into the pits, and the rest fled into the hills. So they got their butt kicked. The battle lines were drawn. The battle ensued, and when the Western Coalition fled, uh, some of them fell into the tar pits. Those tar pits were like um, uh, oil tar pits and uh, bitmen, what they put on the inside of the ships at that time to seal them, and it just kind of welled up out of the ground, and they were falling these things and getting stuck and dying. Um, And they took off into the hills, and, and they were defeated. They were on the run. Uh, and the Eastern Alliance, man, they weren't just trying to get them back in line, but they were making a statement. Uh, they had already showed what they could do coming down, and I'm sure somebody had went ahead and reported that. But then it says in verse 11, it says, The four kings seized all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their food, and they went away. They also carried off Abram's nephew Lot in his possession since he was living in Sodom. So the four kings, they looted Sodom and Gomorrah, and they carried off all the goods and all the food. So the guys that were left behind, man, they were in rough shape. But it says also that along with Lot and all of his possessions. They took Lot and all of his possessions that were too much for him and Abram to stay together. And they moved on. But don't miss this. In chapter 13, when Lot and Abram separated, Lot chose the fertile valley for himself. And then he settled near Sodom. But by this point, he's not just out in the countryside outside of Sodom. He's moved into the city. And uh, Sodom, man, that was the sin city of the time. That was Vegas of uh, (laughs) pre-Christ. His greed for the best had led him to live in sin city, right, in Sodom of that time. And J.D. talked about it last week, about the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And, man, I'm telling you, every time that will get you, it will suck you in uh, if your focus isn't on the Lord. If your focus isn't on the Lord, it's going to beat you. Lot's desire for possessions and success, his will, his way, it ended up costing him his freedom and the enjoyment of all that stuff that he thought was so important for him to have. Man, we can be the same way uh, when we know that we want what, what we want doesn't line up with God's Word, but uh, we want it anyway. Man, we can be there. Maybe, maybe it's not even a bad thing, right? But you can go about that the wrong way or at the wrong time. Man, it's still messed up. We can be the same way. Either way, it's, it's still sin, just call it what it is. But what it really is at the core is... Uh, It's a wrong attitude of the heart. It's a wrong attitude of the heart. And Proverbs uh, 4, verses 23 through 27, it says this. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And uh, the New King James says, from it flows the issues of life. Man, you got any issues in your life right now? Man, check your heart. And then this this scripture, it goes ahead and it tells you how to do that. It says, avoid all perverse talk. Guard your mouth. Guard your mouth. Watch what you say. Stay away from corrupt speech. Guard your ears. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies ahead before you. Guard your eyes. Mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked and keep your feet from following evil. Guard your feet. Now, now, Cynthia and I, we're, we're talking about doing a, extended, a little bit of an extended hike out on the Appalachian Trail, so I don't know how you are, but I, I always get into stuff. I start, I can, I can chase a rabbit hole, <laughs> chase a squirrel. Um, so I was reading just different stuff on hiking through, through hiking and all that kind of stuff, and uh, one of the frequently asked questions was, can you get lost on the Appalachian Trail? And, and the answer was, I mean, it's blazed really well. I mean, you just marked really well where you're going. And it said, well, you're probably not going to get lost on the trail. But if you get off the trail, it can get thick pretty quick, and you can get disoriented, right? You can get sidetracked and get disoriented, and you can't find your way back. That's where the danger lies. Now, sometimes you've got to get off the trail, right? On the AT. They want you to get 200 feet off the trail before you take care of business. 
All right? But sometimes we can go off trail for ridiculous reasons. Right? And we get our business taken care of. Man, we get sidetracked and we end up surrounding ourselves in the thicket of sin. Man, and you get sucked in. The temptation will be more than you can handle, and there will be a point where you won't follow the way out that God provides. Now, we're not tempted to the point that we can't get out of it because God provides a way out. But, man, if you've been sucked in and you've gotten comfortable there, we can get to a point where we're not going to take that even when we see it. Man, you end up in a place you never wanted to be, doing things you never wanted to do, and you end up losing the things that are really important to you. Man, we can start looking over here. And the stuff that really matters over here, man, you're just running in the wrong direction, tangled up in briars and junk you don't need to be in at all. But get this, though, man. This is the point in this war story where it crosses paths with God's story and the people of Israel, a story of redemption. Verse 13 says, a man who had escaped came and reported this to Abraham that Lot had been taken in his possessions. And it tells him this, he says, to Abraham the Hebrew. Now, this is the first time in Scripture that we see the name Hebrew. And uh, we talked about it earlier. It's probably, uh, the name Hebrew probably came. Uh, Abram was a descendant of Heber, uh, who was a descendant of Shem and of Noah. And, And that's the line of the promise, right? And that's the line that leads forward to Jesus. Right, so they, were, they became known as Hebrews from this point. Uh, that's, where Abram had, and, uh, that's where Abram had settled and built an altar to the Lord and, uh, after he and Lot had separated. Uh, God spoke to him and uh, where, they were sta- where they had settled out after a, a Lot left, uh, God spoke to him and told him he was going to be the father of uh, many peoples and that uh, all the land that he could see was going to be his. Look any direction you want. It's all going to be yours and your ancestors. Right? The Lord had spoken to Abraham, and he had told him those things, and Abraham had built an altar, and he worshipped. Man, listen up, man. Abraham built an altar to worship the Lord, but that altar stayed there. Man, when God does something in your life, he moves uh, moves you on to another level of intimacy or transformation or maybe you just run across a scripture that's really speaking to you and God opens it up in a different way to you and it's like, wow, that's awesome, man. I never considered that before. Man, you need, you need to make a, some sort of a marker, right? You need to make a, an, a, an altar to the Lord or some, something to remind you, whether it's writing the date and the what God spoke to you through that scripture in your Bible I mean, I don't care if you go out in your garden and you stack up a pile of rocks, okay? Because well, you know what's going to happen every time you walk past that pile of rocks? And you're like, man, God did that. Man, I'm glad I don't, I'm glad I can't go in my backyard and forget what God did. Because I'm being reminded. We need to do that, man. Do something that when you see it, it will remind you of the great things that God has done in your life. Because conflict and trouble is going to come. And when it does, we need to know where we've been that God's brought us through to know that he's going to bring us through it again. In verse 14, it says, When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And... um, During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them and routed them, and he pursued them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus, and he recovered all the goods and brought back back, uh, his relatives and his possessions together with the women and the other people. All right, so you can pull that map back up again. So uh, uh, hearing of the invasion, he captured Lot. Uh, Abram mustered up 318 trained men. So... uh, and it talks about of his household. So those were uh, the, the servants that he had, his workers that had actually been born uh, during the time that uh, Abram had, the parents were servants. So they'd been with him his, all his life. And he had trained them up how to have war and how to fight and how to protect. And it makes sense, as wealthy as he was, and uh, you're kind of out on the frontier, and you need to be able to protect yourself. And um, 
they chase the invaders in the night and attack and uh, pursue them all the way to Dan. So they're, they're down here around Hebron, between Hebron and Jerusalem, and they go out all the way up to Dan. Man, that's a long way. That's about, um, that's about 140 miles from Abram's place in Hebron. And it said, uh, during the night, Abram divided his troops and attacked from two positions, routing them and pr push, pursuing them over to Hobar, which is like another 100 miles north of Dan. And it says he brought back uh, Lot and his possessions and family and other captives. Uh, so uh, we, we saw up earlier where he had some other... Um, we saw a little earlier where he had uh, some allies of his own, and he got those together. And he went out and he attacked. Uh, he chased them down for a long ways. Uh, man, it's a great example that he was able to, to retrieve his family. That, man, that's God taking care of him. Uh, through rebellion, through invasion, through battles, through destructions, through defeat. Uh, what should have come as a, an impossible rescue was made possible by God, right? Isn't that what Jesus, Jesus said in Luke 18:27? Uh, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Man, I don't know what kind of impossibilities you got in your life right now, but I know the one that can overcome those. Man, are you looking at the problem or are you looking to the solution? Abram took courage and he acted on behalf of his nephew Lot because he knew that God had made some promises and that God always keeps his promises. But you got to notice also he was prepared Right? He, didn't, he didn't just get mad, get an emotional frenzy, and run off to get, his, get Lot. He had already been prepared. Uh, he had done the training. He, is, he and his men were ready when they were called. And when you're following the Lord, there's going to be some major adjustments to make. Right? We don't follow, the God, follow God and stay where we're at. Man, you need to be prepared. You need to be in God's Word, and you need to be ready beforehand. Now, God will prepare you, right? What you're lacking, God will provide. But, man, as, as members of his family, right? Man, we need to be prepared. So the question is, uh, have you been sitting on the bleachers for too long? Not even on the bench. You're hanging out in the bleachers. Or are you prepared? Have you been in God's Word, growing, being transformed into that instrument that God can use? Man, because I'm telling you, I believe this is the time that we need to be able to step up and make a difference in God's kingdom. Man, God's moving. I don't know if y'all have noticed, but God's moving in our country. Man, we can look around at all the negative and the stupid stuff that's going on and be like, man, Lord, where are you? But then you can look around and you see a sense of a revival happening in our country. God's moving and he's working and he's stirring in people's hearts and we need to be ready to act. We need to be prepared Man, the reality is, if we won't do that now, when will we? Too often we've been sitting on too long. Too often for too long we've been sitting on the bench and expecting somebody else to do something. When God calls us to. We're ministers of reconciliation. You know what the, the, the craziest thing is about this whole rescue story? Lot moved right back to where he was before Sodom. And he refused this warning from God and would eventually lose everything when Sodom and Gomorrah are ultimately judged for their wickedness. And that, we'll, we'll be getting into that up in Genesis 19. Uh, but he just didn't get it. He just didn't get it. He'd been down that road before. He, he knew he was jacked up. But he went right back to where he'd been that caused him to be captive before. And if you remember that story, his wife looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. Man, don't be like Lot, wasting your life on worldly treasures that have absolutely no eternal value at all. So what can we take out of this story of uh, conflict and of uh, battle, a little war story with a, with a rescue on the end? Man, there's going to be conflict in our lives. As followers of Jesus Christ, we can expect that. If you don't have any conflict going on, then you probably need to check where you're starting at. 
Because if you're a follower of Jesus, man, there's going to be mountaintop seasons, but there's going to be some deep valleys too. And it's part of following him. It's part of how we grow. In John 16, Jesus it says that uh, if I, to- I've, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Take heart, like Abram did. He took heart, and he believed. Because Jesus said, I have overcome the world. Man, conflict is going to come. Sometimes it comes in the form of opposition to the gospel, right? We're living out our lives for Jesus Christ, and people come up against us. Right? John 15, 18 and 19 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hates you. In a sense, man, the persecution that comes upon you, that's confirmation of your salvation. It's confirmation of your salvation because I'm living for Jesus Christ and people are coming up against me. Man, if everybody's still satisfied with you, you're either sitting in the bleachers or on the bench, but you're not out in the playing field and you're not being in the, in the battle that he calls us to. Man, other times it can come from our own sinful desires. You know, James 4, 1 through 3, it says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come for your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, and you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And if you wonder why God can't bless you, well... Nick's that. Man, we're all blessed. And you are absolutely blessed. You don't know Jesus right now, and you're breathing, you're blessed. It's just how that works. Man, you might find yourself in a battle right now, in a conflict for any number of reasons. Man, I don't know what that would be from. Um, but I do know this, is what you're actually in is a spiritual battle. There may be another person involved, but it's a spiritual battle. So we've got to be prepared. Uh, Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 12 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, and put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Man, go home and read the rest of Ephesians 6 tonight and understand what it means to put on the full armor of God. Now, Romans 12, 18 tells us, inasmuch as it is up to us, we're called to live at peace with everybody. All right, so don't be the instigator. Right, But Abram was prepared beforehand. He was ready for the battle. And when God called, he went. He was willing to risk himself, not for a lot, but for the Lord. There's going to be a time to act. Like Abram's men, be trained and armored up before the conflict. If not, you're going to fall. Man, we can't do this on our own. But praise God, we don't have to, Right? Just as the church in Acts move forth with power of the Holy Spirit, right, so do we. Man, if you're a, a child of God and you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, empowering you to accomplish way more than you could ever hope or imagine on your own strength. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, it says, But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, be holy at any time, and be, ho- be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asked you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Man, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready to answer when these things come. We need to be able to reach out to people and tell them about the hope that we have and why they, how they can have that hope too. Man, there's people in this world that are just completely devastated right now and have no hope. In fact, that's who you were, whether you recognized it or not, before you came to the Lord. Hopeless, without purpose. 
So we reach around and we try to put purpose in our jobs or our families or all these other things. And at the end of the day, you can find the richest guy in the world and he's going to tell you when he finally got there, it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Because God's purpose is way more and we're built for that. Man, there will be conflict. And then secondly, sin has its consequences. Man, for both you and other people around you, right? Man, Lot's look out for number one, my will, my way attitude took him down a path of destruction and captivity. Proverbs 4, 27 and 28 says, Give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. I know I said this earlier. This is a little different. It says, Do not turn to the right or the left and keep your foot from evil. Man, don't get off the path. Don't be playing around with temptation in your mind. Right? Sometimes we'll have that temptation. Sometimes it comes from us. Maybe somebody else put a bug in your ear. And you start chewing on it, playing with it in your head. And it starts to grow. And after it starts to grow, it'll take a root in your heart and it will lead you astray. Don't play with temptation in your mind. Man, we need to take our stand against the devil's schemes, but we need to run from temptation. You got temptation, get away from it. Turn around, run straight to Jesus, get away from that. Don't play with it in your heart or in your head or it'll be coming to pass and you're going to wonder how you got there. The reality is that's what you chose. So there'll be conflict. Sin has consequences and proximity matters. Right? Sinful, sur sinful surroundings soil your heart. Uh, we had a meeting with some pastors, J.D. and I did a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Aaron Wallace, one of the pastors there that was speaking, uh, he said this, and it was really just profound. I mean, he's talking about pastors and being able to be heard and how God can use them, but it applies to all of us. He says, I'll drink from a chipped cup anytime. He said, but I will not drink from a dirty cup. I will not drink from a dirty cup. The chips and the cracks of, from the past aren't the problem, right? The junk we've done before isn't the problem. They're forgiven. It's the dirt on the inside, the sin that we're holding on to that keeps us from being useful to God. Man, do you have a clean cup or a dirty cup? It don't matter if it's cracked all the way down the side, that lets the light of Jesus pour out. Man, we're to be vessels filled with the living water of the Holy Spirit. But the sin on the inside keeps people from wanting to drink what's in our cup. You can be saved and be unuseful for God's kingdom if you don't align yourself with him and allow him to transform your life to where you can be used greatly for his kingdom. And I tell you, somebody might agree, disagree with this, but I think you need to make drawing near to Jesus the number one priority of your life. Man, it needs to be the first thing. Man, don't worry about Providing for your great-grandchildren, or I mean, get you a job, do what you got to do. But the most important thing is being tight to Jesus. And don't worry about your career. You honor the Lord, your career will be all right. If not, he'll give you something else to do. It's an abiding in his presence that we're made clean daily because we need a daily bath from the inside out. Man, but when we do that, when we abide with him, man, we can bear much fruit for God's kingdom. We can do things that generations from now will still be having impact. Richest man around. Four or five generations from now, he might be in a history book, but ain't nobody reading it. Probably nothing that he's accomplished or established is still going to be going on. Is that Rockefeller House over there by Bragg? <laughs> It's in ruins right now. They use that to practice in. <laughs> Rag did. Bear much fruit for God's kingdom. Man, when we're being made holy as he is holy, man, sharing what he has done, being those ministers of reconciliation, man, that ain't going to be a problem. Because God's so alive in your life, you can't help but talk about it. Man, there's going to be conflict. Man, sin has consequences. Uh, proximity matters. But man, we can all have some sort of rescue story. But lastly, make sure your rescue story is part of God's story. Both unto salvation 
and to how you share your life and uh, spend your life for Jesus Christ sharing that. Man, my prayer is that you see the bigger picture of this whole uh, story of Adam's uh, rescue, or Abram's rescue of Lot. Um, Abram's actions, they point to a greater, braver one, capital O. Abram rescued Lot the way that Jesus rescues us, right? As the knowledge of our plight rises to heaven, Jesus didn't sit still. He didn't stay in his comfort zone, Right? We were the ones that were lost, off, lost in our sin and our shame, that were rescued by one who left his safety and his happiness. He sprung into action to save and redeem. Yeah, it was painful on the cross. Jesus not only could have died, but he did. And praise God, he rose from the grave. As far as Abraham went, Jesus went further. This story is in the Bible because it shows us the love of Christ. And I don't know if you feel it today, but you are perfectly loved. You can't be loved more than you are today. People can love you. They can hurt you. They can leave you. God's love is perfect. And he's, what you've done or what you're going to do isn't going to change it. Man, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we have someone better than a brave uncle that's fighting for us. And we have the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, taking upon himself the penalty of our sin that we could never pay, rescuing, redeeming, restoring us into a right relationship with God. Man, if you'll only respond by faith to the gift that's freely offered by God's grace in Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be rescued. You will be redeemed. You will be made clean. You will be made clean. Man, and Jesus will use your story, along with all the chips and the cracks, uh, intertwined with his story, right? Who God is, what he's doing in this earth, and you get to be a part of that to draw others to himself as you live your life out for him and tell others about him. Man, that's your purpose. It may play out a little different in each one of our lives. Uh, but not only do we have a rescue story, but we're be being sent out to rescue others by proclaiming the name of Jesus and sharing his gospel. I'm going to ask the band to come up. Uh, I don't remember reading my nutshell when we started. Did I blow past that? I blew right past it. It's on the screen. Y'all probably read it anyway. Here we go. Here's my nutshell. In light of our rescue story, our lives should be committed, submitted, and submitted to Jesus as we surrender, sacrifice, and serve him, seeking to rescue others by sharing the gospel with all that God places in our path for his glory. And that's the nutshell. That's what we need to be doing. That's how we need to be living. And man, we've got to be telling our story. John three sixteen. And 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but would have eternal life. And I love 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Man, I hope that is truth in your life, that you've been saved, you've been redeemed, that you have a rescue story that Jesus is at the center of and that you get to share. That is our ultimate rescue story. So, man, today, wherever you're at, man, maybe you're in a war or a battle right now, uh, look up to Jesus. Look up to Jesus. And I don't know, maybe you feel hopeless right now. There's a, I can't remember his name, J.D. quoted him this morning, but another one of his little things in his sermon yesterday uh, was talking about it. And uh, he was saying that it's at a point in his life where he'd gone through some loss and he just lost hope. And his daddy came up to him and he said, Son, you can't lose what God has given you. You can't lose what God has given you. He sent his son to die. Has God given you redemption? Has he saved you? Do you have a rescue story? You can't lose that. You can't lose what God has given you. So if you've lost hope, what you've lost is perspective. And you need to quit looking at the storm and the pain around you and look up to Jesus. Look up to Jesus. Man, our perspective is wrong.
Man, that's where we need to be. If you've been rescued, man, look up to Jesus. Man, if you've got a storm going around you that you can't get out of and you're not sure how you're going to get through it, look up to Jesus. That's what we do. We depend on Him because He can and we can't. We need to quit kidding ourselves that we can figure out what only He can figure out and try to take upon ourselves things that we're not designed to handle but He is perfectly designed and desiring to do. That's our Lord. That's who we worship. That's who we follow. That's our rescue story because we're going to need rescued again tomorrow. You know that, right? Our eyes will get off of him and we'll slide back into the foolishness of the past or something new that the devil throws in front of us and we're going to need to be rescued again. Know where to look so you don't have to stay in the pit any longer than you have to to learn what God's going to teach you through it. And that's my prayer for us. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I love you. I praise you. You are awesome. You are holy and you are perfect. And out of that perfection, we are perfectly loved. May we rest in that. May we keep our eyes on you. Proclaim your message that we have hope, eternal hope in you, Lord. Lord, I pray that for those there that don't know you, and I know there's people here that having accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be their spiritual birthday and they would never look back. For those of us that do, Lord, may we be clean vessels for you. May we be cleaned out by you. We can't clean ourselves up. Person that's seeking here, that's wanting to know the Lord, but you still got some junk in your life, you can't clean yourself up. Come to Jesus as you are. And he will clean you up. Lord, may we honor you today and every day for the rest of our lives as we follow you and we, we introduce others to you and fulfill our purpose on this earth and experience your good and your glory for eternity. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.